Today's scriptures are found um, in Job 3, 1 through 26. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, A man is conceived. Let the day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide the trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept, and then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster, the small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly, and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, from whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. This is God's word. You may be seated. Uh, all right. Well, we uh, today we're going to be in Job chapter 3. And uh, I'm excited to talk about this with you this morning. I know it sounds maybe like a strange thing, because that chapter that Mar read for us is, uh, well, it's not a very exciting sounding chapter. Um, for most of my life, I feel like I've been pretty uncomfortable with, with, with suffering. I mean, that sounds obvious, but like with other people's suffering. Like when someone is really sad hearted, it's been hard for me, I think, sometimes to relate to them. I don't think I've been a very good shoulder to cry on, especially in my past. And one point I remember really well is uh, during high school, we were at summer camp with the youth group, and there was this girl that some of us had known. We had invited her in. She was starting to give her life to the Lord. She was like on the edge of like, yeah, she heard the gospel. She wanted to respond, but she was going through a lot of stuff in life. And so I remember this moment really well. Uh, I just wanted to play basketball and the chapel at the camp was right next to the basketball courts. So I remember walking over there, holding my ball, whistling my tune. And I walked and she was sitting right there on the chapel steps and just like bawling, like tears soaking her Bible. And I remember looking, we locked eyes and she looked at me like almost an expectation, like, can you help me? And I just uh, and I turned around and I left. <laughs> I just walked away. I was like, I'm not going to play basketball right now. I don't know. Um, it's hard. It can be hard dealing with people's suffering. 
Also, I remember trying to read through the book of Job. Uh, I've been fascinated with this book. I remember in junior high when I started to, to come to the Lord, I remember sitting down and talking to my youth pastor. I'm like, what is Job about? I remember trying to read it. And I wonder how many times has someone tried to read the book of Job and they've just given up. So for me, it's been many times. Many times I've tried to read through it and something happens and I just, I can't get any further. And I don't know if what it was for you. For me though, it wasn't some of the other weird things that tend to, uh, to, to scare people away. For me, when I read it, it's not the beginning of the book where Job loses everything that he has in one day. Uh, like this almost comical level of suffering. Like while they were yet speaking, this happened and this happened. If you remember, he lost all 10 of his kids. He lost all of his riches. He lost his health. Like this kind of overthink, that didn't scare me away. It wasn't even this weird like divine theater thing where we see Satan and God speaking among the council, the sons of God. That was strange, but that was really interesting for me. That, that didn't scare me away. But what did get me, the thing that almost always would stop me in my tracks was, was chapter three. It wasn't this weird stuff. It wasn't this tale of suffering. It was chapter three, this long, strange poem that feels repetitive, that was confusing. I remember reading this and hearing some of the things that he says, cursing the day he was born, wishing that he was a stillborn. And I remember thinking like, is this, is this okay? Is it okay for Joe to be saying these things? And I just, again, I felt so detached. I was just, and it was also really strange because it's so different from how Job was talking earlier. If you remember, right? Job uh, 1, 20 through 21, after the initial outpouring of suffering, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You could read that. I read that. And that like, doesn't that just, in the midst of all this pain, doesn't that just sound a triumph? I think we've been trained, I think, to read some of these stories of like these hard passages, but there's that, that goodness at the end, kind of like a sitcom, you know, like all the problems get wrapped up at the end of those 22 minutes. We read that, but it continues. It goes even further. Right, we want, it to, we want it to read kind of like William Wallace at the end. Like he dies yelling freedom. He still dies, but he died like triumphant. But Job goes into this long soliloquy, this monologue of just intense pain and suffering and complaining and saying really wild, outlandish, even maybe offensive things. And for me, it was, it was strange. It was confusing. What happened to Job? From the end of, of one and two, even where his wife tells him to curse God, and he says, no, I won't. I won't just take good. I'll take this evil also from God. But then something changes as we get to chapter three. If you remember, he just kind of, he literally sits on the ashes of his life. He's out in like a dumpster, out in an ash heap, just sitting there. It says he wait, he, he, sitting, and then his friends come from the east. We don't know exactly how long, but I think it's safe to assume he's literally in this for months. The initial suffering happens, he loses everything, and then he's just there for months, just sitting and sitting in his turmoil. His friends come and see him, and they don't even recognize him. They sit down, they don't even have anything to say, because this man is so broken, and so they just sit in silence for seven days. And finally, Job speaks. Job cries out. But who's, who's he talking to? I think it's important for us to see that. I don't think he's talking to his friends. I think he realizes that they're there. I think he knows that they're probably listening, but I don't think that he's saying this to them. 
He sat in silence this long for another week and then finally cries out. And I think we could say he's saying this to God, but really what this is is just this is like a geyser that's just been sitting and percolating for so long and then finally he can't hold this pain in anymore and everything, the sum of all this suffering just comes out and it pours out for us to read in this chapter. Here's the main point uh, this morning if you're taking notes. In the face of real suffering, we need lament and we need truth. I'll explain that in, in a second as we get further on. But here's, here's what I want to do. Here's what we're going to do this morning. Job chapter 3 is not a typical passage that we usually read in Scripture. It's not one that we usually point to. This is, like I said earlier, this is the outpouring, the raw, unfiltered, just cry of a broken man who's had more pain than many of us will ever even come to understand. And I think the temptation is, I, I love preaching through, through, through like the epistles, through the letters that Paul wrote, because they're basically, they're arguments. It's so, so structured, and you go down line by line by line. That's not what's happening here. As you'll see, there's not like a, a real, there's not a logical argument that he's making. It's, it's pain that he feels. And maybe some of you, you've had this, or just such real pain, or someone that you know, and then even know how to think. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to sit with Job. I want to look through his cry. I want to look through his pain, through his anguish. And I want to actually, before we even analyze, before we even look at like, how can we apply this to our own life, which, which we will, but before we do that, I want to really walk through what he's saying, what he's feeling, because I think we need to remember, God put this chapter in here. If we believe what we believe about scripture, it's, it's his divine word. It's his inspired word. Job chapter three is just as inspired as John three sixteen. It is for us to hear, but it's not just for us to listen to, I'd argue, it shouldn't just be listened to. It should be, I think it's meant to be heard, but I think it's meant to be felt. I think this suffering is meant for us to be felt. We need to hear this. Um, you, you probably heard this before, like, you know, in, in all the, the jokes people make about the differences between men and women, of like, oh, you know, don't just solve my problem. I, I want you to listen to me. There, there's, there's truth to that. You know, we understand, like, going to someone in great suffering with just platitudes and, like, oh, this all happens for a reason. That's not helpful. Um, but I think underneath, I mean, if we're being honest, we do want our problems to be fixed, right? Job would love for his problem to be fixed. But what about when that can't happen? When your mom is dying, when your marriage is failing, when you're bankrupt, I can't do anything. When I can't do anything to fix your problem, when you can't do anything to fix your neighbor's problem, what then do we do in this moment? How do we listen? How do we join in to this suffering? So again, I want to listen to Job. And, and one last thing I want to remind you of. Whenever we listen to passages on suffering, like Job or um, you know, any of the Lamentations or anything like that, I think the first thing we tend to do is we kind of internalize it. We take this, we're like, how is this passage meant for me and my suffering? And you should, 100%. But Job isn't just for you. The scriptures are not just for you. They're for all of us. And so I want to encourage you, some of you this morning, you're in real pain and you're suffering. I hope this is helpful to you. For some of you, you're not. And, and that's okay, but don't turn this off because I'm sure that there's people in your life who are. Maybe there's some of those three people that you prayed for. Maybe it's a family member, a friend that you know. Job is also meant for that person. And you can use this to love them and share with them in their suffering. 
So let's do this. Let's look through. There's three parts to Job's just his heartbroken cry here. There's three parts. It's a curse, a cry, and a question. Let's look through it together. So the first part I want us to see is the curse. Read with me in verse 1 through 10. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Real quick, if you're taking notes or if you have anything, I would encourage you, highlight or underline that word curse. It's very important. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not see it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble for my eyes. Let the day of my birth perish. I curse this day I was born. I hate this day. Here's what you're going to find with Job, especially in this chapter, in chapter three. Like I said before, it's not a logical argument he's making. It's just him with all the pain that he's felt putting it forward. So he's, it's actually kind of repetitive, you'll see. He's going to introduce this idea and he's going to keep kind of coming back to it and building on it and building on it. It's kind of like a concentric circle, a circle that just keeps getting bigger. It's almost like he's saying, this is the thing that I'm hating, that I'm feeling right now. And he's just circling it and circling it and circling it. And so what, what actually is he saying here? Let the day that I was born, I hate this day. It's kind of strange. He's using really like beautiful poetic language, but it's a strange contradiction because he's describing something that's almost grotesque as we'll see even later, wishing for his own death. Let the sky be dark. Let it blot out the day. You know, birthdays are usually days of celebration. Some of us love celebrating our birthdays, some more than others. If you're a parent, you have kids, and you've celebrated those days. And isn't it interesting that even though that day, especially for you moms, might have been filled with such pain and stress, it's still a day of joy, as you remember this. Job knew this well. He had 10 kids. But he wishes that day, that day that he's felt joyful about that day that he celebrated throughout his whole life. He wishes that it was gone, that it was dead. He goes even further. He even says, let it not rejoice among the the calendar, the days of the year. Basically, he's saying like, I don't just hate that I was born on this day. I hate like the day itself. Like my birthday is September 13th. Like I, I wish that September 13th was just erased. I wish we went from 12th to the 14th. It was it. He's talking about almost like how we talk about days of like of national global tragedy, you know, like of, of 9-11. It's like, I wish this day was cursed. So you have to talk about that for a second. I told you to underline or, or circle that word. What does he mean? What, what is he talking about? That's not a word that we usually use uh, very often. You know, normally when we say curse, we're talking about swearing. That's not what he's talking about here. Um, we need to understand this because I think thus far, this idea of curse is a, it's a really central question. So far, it's been mentioned a few times. 
Just look at this. In Job 1, 6b, Job is worried that his children have done this. It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job sacrificed for them continually. Job 1, 11, Satan wants to see if Job will curse God, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And again, Job didn't relent, so he goes after his health, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And then at the end of all that, even his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. The central question so far is, will Job curse God? What, what does that mean? Like I said, we need to understand what's at stake here. What's he talking about? When we say, when he says curse God, it's basically like, like think about like, like treason, like the highest level of just denouncing this thing. We can understand this to some degree, like maybe you've been in an organization, you hated this place, you quit, you're like I want nothing to do with this business anymore. Or maybe some of you have done this or you've known this, you cut yourself off from a family member or from family. I have an uncle that I haven't seen since I was like 10 years old, completely cut off from the family. I hate this family, I'm not a part of this family, I would rather that you all be dead. And that's the idea here. That's what he was worried that his children would do. That's what Satan was trying to get Job to do. That's what his wife was telling him to do. Curse God and die. Punt on your faith. Just be done and be angry. Job is angry. We hear this. We hear the words. We'll see this more as we read this in a second. Job is filled with anger. I mean, again, just look what he says that night, verse six, the thick darkness sees it. Let no one rejoice among the days of the year. He calls upon, in verse eight, he calls upon the Leviathan, let those curse it who curse the day. The Leviathan is just, I mean, this mythical like sea beast kind of thing. It's like this, this thing that brings chaos and destruction. He's wishing the worst possible things that he could wish to happen to this day. Have you, like, what do you do when you suffer? Do you get angry? Where does that anger go? I know many of us, I can think of many people walked with the Lord until the cancer diagnosis came, until the death came, and then that anger just burns in them. We look for a place to go, and many, many turn it to God, curse God. And Job doesn't do that. He doesn't curse God, but he does feel that anger. He wants to point it somewhere. He doesn't even know where to point it. And so like I say, he just starts cursing the very day that he was born because he doesn't know what to do with this. And continue. The curse and then he has a cry. Look with me in verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Come out of the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster, the small and the great are there and the slave is free from his master." Like I said, it's, it's kind of repetitive. It seems like he's continuing his thought because he starts and he just, he curses the day that he was born, but then he expands on that and just says in verse 11, why didn't I not die at birth? 
Why was I even received by the knees and the breasts? Like, why did I, why did I even receive any nourishment? And then he pushes it even further. Not only why did I die at birth, but in 16, it says, why could I not even been like a stillborn? Why could not I have just even just died in my mother's womb? I don't even want to experience the slightest part of this world, even as an infant. I wish I just died in the womb so I'd never experienced anything, any part of this. Some of you know that pain of a child dying or of a miscarriage. Some of you, that's even the suffering that you're dealing with right now. I was talking to Steve uh, DeBrancy about this. Uh, many of you are in growth groups and, and you've been looking ahead. Some of you already read this passage and you studied. And Steve mentioned how someone in the group said that this is, this is offensive, what Job is saying. I wish that I, I died as a child. I wish that I died in my mother's womb. Like all the suffering that he has, it's like, I, I wish that my, my mother's child, I wish my mother and father suffered like this in, instead of me. But why does he want this? Why does he wish that he died as a child or died in the womb? Look what he says in verse 13. For then I would have been laid down and been quiet. I would have slept and I would have been at rest. Job is tired. Maybe you are too. He is utterly exhausted, utterly spent. This cry of pain, like just in every possible way, he has nothing left. He's tired mentally. Think about this. When, when you suffer, when something happens to you, whether it be your fault or not, don't you just spend agonizing pain just thinking over this and, and regretting? Imagine how much time Job has spent just regret. Like, that's what he's saying. I wish I could go back and die. I don't even know what to regret here. What did I do wrong thinking over this? Why is this happening? It's exhausting. We want answers. We don't get answers. God, why would you let this happen? And then emotionally, he's done. Physically, he's done. Remember, he's sick. He's got these boils. He's just, there's, there's nothing left. He's like, I wish I could just die so I could rest. And then what happens? Look at how he talks about death. He starts romanticizing it a little bit. I would have been... Uh, I would have slept and I would have been at rest, 14, with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. He starts talking about death as if it's his only escape. Death is his only chance of rest. Later on in 17 through 19, he does this too. Like think about just like, he's talking about the benefits of death. There the wicked cease from trouble. The weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease. They don't hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the greater there. The slave is free from his master. Remember that, 19. He says, in death, the slave is free from his master. He's twisting things that the only hope that he has, the only way he gets rest is if he could just die. Job doesn't want revenge anymore. Job doesn't even want justice anymore. I don't even know if he wants it to be fixed. He just wants to die. And then it all culminates in the last part of this, a question. Verse 20 through 26. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul who long for death 
but it comes not. And dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sign comes instead of my bread. My groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Why? Why, God? This is the central question here. Why God? But notice, it's not even why God is this happening to me. That's the question most of us ask when we reach our suffering. Why would you let this happen? And now, he, he asks that later. That becomes a big question. But right here, he's not asking that. Instead, instead of asking, God, why did you do this? He said, why would you take all this from me and let me live? You've taken so much. Again, he doesn't want to curse God. He know, he's holding on to this truth that God is good. He knows this in his head, but everything in his heart, everything in his body is telling him that's not true. And so he doesn't want to curse God. He's trying to reconcile this. God, this just feels cruel. Why would you take everything from me and then let me live? I, all I want right now is death. This is what he's saying. I'm, I'm looking for this like somebody who digs for hidden treasures. Why is light given to him who is in misery? I'm suffering, I'm hurting, all I want is this for it to be done. And he knows this is God. In 23, he says, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? You trapped me, you stripped me, you took everything from me. Why even just let me suffer and continue? And then 26, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Job ends this with, with no hope. Sometimes we feel better after a bit of like emotional catharsis, right? We cry. That helps us kind of feel better about it. He doesn't feel better. This is it. This is the, like, what do I, what am I supposed to do here? I have no rest, but trouble comes. So we've sat with Job. And maybe, and take a deep breath, maybe that feels exhausting. And it is. It's hard sitting through something like that. What, what can we take from this? I, I don't want it to sound crass. I don't want to be like, okay, what can we learn and analyze, uh, autopsy this? No, I think, again, you were given Job chapter three. We were given Job chapter three. I think there's things that we can learn, that we can take good things from this. So, so I want to look. What can we learn from his suffering? A couple things I want to show you. The first thing is this. We can face our suffering through lament. If you remember when I was reading this in high school, my question was, is it okay that Job talks like this? Job isn't just saying, oh, I'm sad. Things are really hard right now. Going through a busy season, a hard season. I wish I was dead. Curse the day that I was born. God did this to me. What, I don't, is it okay that he... We'll find next week that his friends don't think so. His friends disapprove of him. And I wonder how many of you have been in a similar situation where you're hurting and you don't even really have words to articulate. You're just, just talking and just putting out and you, just, you feel this tension of like, am I, look, I believe that God is good. I believe that he is in charge. But if that's true, it almost makes it even harder to understand and to reconcile this. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to talk about this. So do I just keep it in? 
Many of us feel like we, we have to, right? We have to keep it in. I think we'd be almost embarrassed and ashamed to raise our hand and say, yeah, at one point I've thought like Job. I've wondered, why am I even here? Why am I even facing this? I wish that I could rest. But we can't, I don't know what to do with that. Well, I think scripture shows us God gives us a tool called lament. Lament is the honest expression of our sorrows to God. You know, listen, in the Old Testament, there's this whole book called Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, nicknamed the weeping prophet, who just pours out all of his anguish over his people who have walked away. All the wickedness that he's seen and experienced. About a third of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. If you want to take a look for yourself, I encourage you to look at Psalm 22, Psalm 13, Psalm 152. These are heartbreaking Psalms. Mark Vrogop talks a lot about uh, lament. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but I think it's helpful. He says, I find that most Christians strongly believe that a joyful response should characterize their suffering. But they don't know how to reconcile their deep questions, honest struggles, and nagging doubts with the command to give thanks in all circumstances. The gap between their internal struggles and what they believe can feel like the Grand Canyon of a faith crisis. And the result is often two extremes. On the one hand, I've seen people fake their way through pain. They tell people I'm fine when nothing could be further from the truth. And on the other hand, the enemy can use this struggle to cause them to doubt either the substance of their faith or even the legitimacy of Christianity. What do we do? How do we talk? How do we even think? Do we hide it? Do we move past? I mean, I, I, when I'm suffering, I recall verses like James 1, 2 through 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Could you imagine sitting there in the ash heap with Job, and he says all this, and then you say, count it all joy, buddy. Like, could you imagine? Like, that's kind of what we do, though, right? And then we wonder, like, do I just, do I take it on the chin? Do I rub some dirt on it? Most of you know Psalm 23, the ultimate coffee mug passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life as I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think some of us look at Psalm 23 and we're like, that's what Christian suffering should look like. You know, it's hard, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but surely, you know, I, I got it. That's a peacetime psalm. That's a psalm of like gladness and mercy. That's a, that's a summer tune for David. I wonder how many of you are familiar with Psalm 22, the psalm right before it. Same author. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. You don't see that on a decoration at Hobby Lobby, do you? We don't, there's a reason why Psalm 22 is not as famous as Psalm 23. But this is lament. I don't think that, look, I think for sure God is listening to Job in Job chapter three. And as his friends look at him in disgust and as his friends have a lot of notes of why he's wrong, I don't think that God looks at him 
in anger. I think God looks at him and is pained because his son is hurting. I think God fills this pain with him. Look, it doesn't make you more noble to hide your pain. Job has lost all pretense. He's raw. He's angry. He says things that aren't true. We'll get to that. But the primary way God introduces himself to us is as a father. And those of you parents, wouldn't you want your child to come and be honest about the pain that they feel? I'm, I'm always just blown away at the story of Lazarus and how he died, how Jesus goes. He knows he's going to heal him, but he sees the pain and he weeps. Jesus fills his pain. He is not an unfeeling. God is not an unfeeling cosmos, not some kind of floating AI out there. He feels this pain. And so we can come to him through our pain, through our suffering, and we can lament and we can be honest. And here's the next thing we should see. Christians are called to share in the sufferings of others. Like, like I said a couple times, Job says this, his friends are going to respond to it. We see that they're going to do a terrible job. They're not encouraging. They're not helpful. But, but, but again, remember what Job is saying here. He's not being very fun to listen to right now, is he? This stuff he's saying is not encouraging. It's painful. It's heart-wrenching. And there's things where it's like, is he even, should he even be saying this? For the wrong ears, Job's tale of suffering is annoying. It's grating. It's repetitive. Boring, even. Tedious. We love to complain, don't we? And we love to complain and share the complaints with others. If you and someone, like if you guys both have a terrible boss, you can complain about that all day long. If you both are going through something, you can share in that complaint. But isn't it true that if someone is dealing with something that doesn't really have anything to do with you, you can listen for a while. But then after a while, you're like, gosh, man, you're still dealing with this? You're still, and like we, like we know we shouldn't feel that way, but we feel guilty, like, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This is part of what it means to love one another. The Christian love between neighbors is not one of like, hey, sorry, you're going through that, man. It's you sit and you weep with them. Lament isn't just between you and God. Lament is meant to be shared. Suffering is meant to be shared. We ought to sit with our brothers and sisters in this suffering. We, we often don't. Remember how lonely Job is right now. And so I just remind you, for those of you who maybe you aren't going through major suffering right now, who, who is? Search them out even. Look for the ones who are weeping. Look for the ones who are mourning and go and mourn with them. Weep with them. Some of the biggest ways I've grown is when someone came alongside and weep with me or when I came alongside and I wept with them. I want to challenge those of you who are in growth groups right now or, serving, or some kind of Christian community. You won't actually grow in community until you share those things. It will continue to feel awkward and shallow until you go into those sufferings with one another. Let's move on. Next thing I want to see is that suffering makes it easy to believe lies. Okay. Job is pained. He is hurting. He is suffering. He is confused. But he does say some things 
that are wrong. He does say some things that are, again, offensive, right? Death is my only escape, basically. In death, I can have rest. I hate this day that I was born. God made a mistake, basically. It would have been better if I was dead. Most commentators believe that he's not, Job isn't actually suicidal in here. He doesn't view that as an out. But we see him fantasizing about death, thinking that this would be the answer for him. When, when you suffer, you know this, you start to hear lies about things. And those lies become loud. I've counseled um, a, a lot of people through fighting lust and sexual temptation. And I think it's easy for us to understand, like, look, if you get tempted to think on something or to look at something, it doesn't mean you should. It's just a temptation. And so you, you flee that temptation. Something I think most of us probably don't recognize, though, is that just because you have a thought, just because something comes in your head doesn't mean that it's true. And it definitely doesn't mean that it ought to be meditated upon. This is, how, this is what spiritual warfare looks like. You're suffering, you're in pain, and all of a sudden all you can think is you shouldn't have ever been born. Death is the only escape for you. There is no hope. There is no life. You're worthless. You're wrong. And you start meditating and fixating on that, and that's all you have. And the more you believe lies, the more you're going to act on them. I've known two people in my life who've committed suicide. One, one claimed that he knew the Lord. I saw it. I, I mean, I, I would have told you for sure that he did. But he, he made some really big mistakes, and he kept, just kept listening to them, kept listening to them. as was my friend's dad. I remember everyone was talking about how he had turned and how he had changed, and it was all good, but he just could not give up on some of those lies he kept listening to. And then one day I got the call from my friend that his dad, he gave up. Job is listening to lies. And the more we listen to lies, the more we're, we tend to act on them. So, so what do we do? Well, first, I want to show you a quote that Martin Luther says. It says, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. I think it's a really good quote. Just like, look, thoughts are going to come. Lies are going to come. Temptations will come. What you do is you don't dwell on it. But we know this, right? You can't just white knuckle something. You can't just look, I'm not going to think this. I'm not going to think this. So what do we do instead? When suffering, we need to hear the truth of the gospel. This is the last point. And suffering, we need to hear the truth of the gospel. What could we have said to Job? What does one need to hear in times of just unimaginable pain? Again, we, we don't want the platitudes. We don't want the like, it's all gonna work out. Everything happens for a reason. Imagine saying that to a mother who's lost a child. That's not, we don't, you don't, we know that doesn't help. So what do we need? We need truth. And we need the gospel. And look, for some of you, I, just, I wonder if there's a little bit of like recoil in you when you hear that. 
It's like, I just, it just feels like it's, it's too easy. This Christian needs, like it's just, it doesn't help. And again, that's one of those lies that you'll hear. What we need is we need the truth. We need the full gospel. Because what we want, again, we want that sitcom ending. We want it to all be tied up in those, you know, 22 minutes. It doesn't work that way, does it? Job doesn't get the answer why this happened. But Job, Job does get God revealed to him at the end. We need the full truth of the gospel. Lament is a tool we have. Go to God, turn to him, but Job's lament is incomplete. Marv Rogop earlier, he, he talks about how we do lament. Just really quickly, this is, he says, the steps of lament. You turn to God, you complain, you ask boldly, and you trust. I don't have time to go for it right now, but if you look at Psalm 22, if you look at Psalm 13, you see this. You are holy and thrown on the praise of Israel. Your fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. Job doesn't have that. He turns in some way to God. He cries out, he complains, he asks boldly for, for the wrong thing. There is no trust, there is no, no hope. In times of greatest suffering or the greatest need to hear the gospel, the full gospel. If your gospel is just Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you ask him in your heart and you go to heaven when you die, that is nothing. It does nothing for you. The full gospel is that we were born into darkness, born sinful and angry and unrighteous and hating towards God, but God in his love loved us so much that he sent his son who defeated death. Death is not Job's victory. Death is not Job's rest. The rest that we have is not that this ends, it's that Jesus has defeated death. We sang that earlier and we'll sing something about that again, that that is the answer that we have. That is the victory. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You will suffer. Maybe even because you're a Christian, I'm not even just talking about persecution. Job isn't getting persecuted by outsiders. He's getting this suffering because of his righteousness. And the gospel shows us, it tells us that Jesus, even though Job didn't know it, remember, we can't make sense of Job without knowing Jesus. Jesus suffered more than we ever will. The father turned his face away, crucified on the cross, and he did this to defeat death so that we could have life. And that is the victory that we have and that sometimes it feels weak, Right? You don't feel your salvation. Salvation's not an emotion, but it's a truth you hold on to. And we can look and we remember that. Yeah, we have victory today over sin. But one day, he will make all things right. One, one, one time, I was playing a game with the youth. I tried to tag a kid and I fell and I hurt my arm really, really bad. So bad, it was like, this is maybe the worst pain I've ever felt. And just, I remember a buddy here, he helped me with some physical therapy. He's like, you're gonna feel fine. You're gonna heal so fast that you're not even gonna remember this pain. And he said, like, you won't even remember what arm it was that you got hurt. That's true, I don't actually remember which arm it was. It felt so bad. Look at this, Revelation 21, three through four. Christian, this is your end hope. One day, the pain will be healed so much it'll be hard for you to even remember. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's Jesus. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is our hope. This is your hope. The hope that Job didn't yet know. The hope that we have in Jesus Suffering will come. Lament that suffering. Lament with one another. Meet God. Turn to God. But remember what he has done and what he continues to do, what he will do. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy sometimes for us to say that you are good. Sometimes it feels almost almost impossible but we know that you are good, that you do love us, that even in the suffering of this world, you are there with us. And we don't have some, some worthless cliches, some, some weak hope that we can't be sure of. We know because of what Jesus did on the cross, the perfect salvation, the perfect atonement, and his resurrection, we have hope, a hope that is even already seen. We're in the already not yet, you are here. So Lord, we, we pray humbly for, for those here who are suffering, for those who feel like Job. God, I pray that you would give them the strength to believe, believe that you are good and believe that we can go to you and we can, we can lament. I think there's some in here who probably need to do that. And I pray that they would. And Lord, for those in here who, who maybe aren't really feeling this, I pray you would put people on their heart, names and faces in their mind, and give them a, a massive desire to go and to love them, to share in their sufferings, to be that to them. And God, for all of us, would you help us remember that you are good. The victory you have is the hope that we have no matter what. And to look to you in all things. We love you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.